good to see you back tonight for Bible study. Take your copy of God's Word and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in the New Testament. I know we've been in the Old Testament on Sunday night so long you probably forgot where that's at, but just go to the right side of your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 10. I want us to look at a passage tonight that I always enjoyed reading uh, about spiritual construction. Sometimes I ride my bicycle for exercise. My knees don't allow me much to run anymore, although I used to like to run a lot. That's probably why my knees don't work much anymore. But I ride my bicycle, and sometimes I ride down along the river. And there's people down there that have property on the river. It's pretty and all. I wouldn't want to pay the property tax on it being on the river. But they were building a house down there one day. And they were doing the construction thing, you know, and I saw them pouring the foundation, and I'd ride by on another day, and they'd be doing something else. And one day I went by there, and it wasn't the normal, like they can frame a house in almost one day. They fill it with all the two-by-fours, and then they throw the walls up. There weren't weren't any two-by-fours out there. They had these big, giant, looked like plastic or fiberglass molds, and they were setting them on the foundation, and the concrete trucks were backing in there and pouring concrete in these molds, and they were pouring solid concrete walls. Now, I figured they were doing that because that house is on the river. And you know what comes around here every now and then is these hurricanes. And so I, I figured they were pouring this solid concrete walls to try to make that thing hurricane-proof. I got news for them. I've not seen a hurricane-proof house in the state of Florida just take a look down in South Florida. But in any case, that's what they were doing, and it was unique. And, and they built the house, and it's still there today. I ride my bicycle by, and it's still there, and two or three people have owned it. Matter of fact, a neat story about that, it was a, a Jaguar football player who was building it. I found that out later, and that explains how he could afford to live on the river, right, and uh, pay taxes. And I got to thinking about construction. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul talks about a similar thing. He said that we who are saved are in the construction business. We're in the spiritual construction business. We are part of a spiritual house, the spiritual family of God, the house of God. And when we get saved, we just don't move into the house and do nothing. We we are to be active in building up the house, edifying one another, building up the body of Christ. Now, in this passage, we're going to discover that it's possible to build spiritually with two kinds of materials. And just for for the sake of simplicity, we'll call them lesser materials and best materials, okay? Now, lesser materials is just that. Sometimes uh, contractors will build a house or build something and use inferior material. They'll use two-by-fours that aren't straight. Have you ever gone to the store to buy two-by-fours? And you pull one out of the rack, and it looks like a dog's hind leg. You know, that thing is crooked. Every way it can be crooked. And they want, you know, $10 for a two-by-four now or something like that. Crazy. So if I'm going to pay that much for a two-by-four, I want that bad boy to be straight, right? I mean, I want it to be straight. Well, they'll build your house with all these crooked two-by-fours. Then when you try to hang a picture, the stud ain't where it's supposed to be because it goes like that, all right? That's another story. The point is, some, some people can, they, they build and they, and they don't care. They just use whatever they can get and whatever's the cheapest, 
When we moved into our house in, 1990, in 1997, it had been built in 92, so it was five years old. And I was much younger then, so you know what I did? I climbed all over that thing. I climbed up in the attic, walked all over the place looking at the trusses and the two-by-fours. And you know what I found up there? If you hadn't been in your attic, that's an interesting place to go. You can find all kinds of stuff up there. They had, they had put a fan up in the ceiling and the, in the roof of the house to draw the heat out of the attic instead of vents. And it's an electric fan. Now it'd be fantastic, you know, for it to work. But the wire was hanging there and it wasn't hooked up to nothing. I mean, like it was never hooked up. So for five years, this fan had been up there and all, no heat taken out of the attic and you know, and you know that that'll cook the shingles from the bottom side if you don't get the heat out of it. So I guess what I had to do, I had to go buy some number 12 wire and find a wire up there and cut into an eye wire and the fan up. The point is, people use inferior stuff. They cut corners because making money's more important than building with quality stuff. Or best materials, there are those who build and they only use the best. They use the best lumber, they use the best fasteners, the best hangers, the best equipment, the best practices for load-bearing and for security, and they build something that will stand the test of time, and they build something that will stand the storms and that will, and that will last. We, in 2010, we put an addition on our house, and of course the code had changed since they built the front part of the house in, in 1992, and I watched those guys put holes in the foundation and put rods in there and connect the rods to the roof and bolt them down where they're tight. And you could almost play music on those things. They're so tight. What are they for? They're to hold the roof on the house when the hurricane comes. I told Sherry, if we stay in the house in the hurricane, we're going to the addition part and leave the front part to itself. Because I know in the addition part, it ain't going anywhere. It's, it's bolted down to the, to the foundation. But you can build with lesser material or you can build with better material or best material. That's exactly what Paul's going to tell us in this passage about spiritual construction in our lives and in the life of the church. Let me give you the context since we're going to jump in on verse 10. In the first part of this chapter, Paul addresses these Christians, and they're Christians. Now, he calls them brothers and sisters in Christ, but they're not, they're not building well, and they're not doing well. In fact, without going back and reading the first nine verses, here's what Paul addresses there. He says, you guys... You guys are divided, and you're arguing among one another, and he says it's because you're carnal. And carnal in the Bible means living in the flesh. It means a saved person who's allowing the flesh to dominate their lifestyle. It's a saved person who has a, who, who's been saved by faith in Jesus, but they've gone back and allowed sinful habits and fleshly habits to dominate their lifestyle instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to dominate their lifestyle. And Paul said, because you've done that, because that's how you're operating in the church, you've divided yourself. Some in the church said, man, we follow Apollos because he's the best preacher and we're of Apollo. And some said, no, Peter, Peter, he's our man. He's, man, he's an apostle and he's a good preacher. And then others said, no, Paul came here and preached the gospel, so we're followers of Paul. And Paul basically said, knock it off. You shouldn't be following any of us. Paul said, man, I planted Apollo's watered, and God gives the increase. We don't, Paul said, we're laboring together. So what he's saying is we should be building together. We should be building the kingdom together, not fighting with one another. Just a side note here. 
You know why churches have fighting and discord in them? You know why there's divisions in churches? You know why churches split and people run off mad? Carnal. Carnality. Very seldom. Now, it could be the case every now and then a church gets off doctrinally, and a bunch of people justly go and say, look, we're on the wrong track. Let's get straightened out. And if not, you go worship somewhere else. That's fine. But you know why Christians get mad at one another and yell at one another at the business meeting and a bunch of people go, I don't, I'm not worshiping with you and I don't like you and this and that and the other thing? Sin. That's it. Sin, carnality, fleshliness. Because, you know, if we just obeyed one command, Jesus said, love one another like I loved you. If you just do that, it takes care of a lot of that, doesn't it? But this church was all divided, and Paul said, you aren't building anything. You guys are wasting your time because you're all divided into these different camps. And Paul said, we ought to be working together. In the passage beginning of verse 10, here's what he does. He takes the fact that he says to them, you should be working together, and he makes it personal. And he begins to deal individually with how we build in this life, spiritually. And I'll give you a little, a little preview to the end. We're accountable to Jesus for how we build in the kingdom. And one day, we got to stand in front of Jesus and answer for our work. How did we build? How did we labor spiritually? Look at what Paul said in verses 10 and 11. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one, notice what he says here, but let each one, every Christian, take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. What a powerful passage. Paul said first, man, God's called me to be a master builder. Architecton. We get our word architect from it. He says, God's called me to be a, a preeminent builder, a master builder, an expert builder spiritually. And he was. He was of the apostles, one of the greatest. But Paul said, I'm, I'm building and laying a foundation. What foundation was he laying? Jesus Christ. He said, man, there's no other foundation. He said, I'm laying the foundation of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it was incumbent upon those apostles in the first century to lay the foundation of the church, to go out and share the gospel, do missionary work, plant churches all over the place. God, the Holy Spirit, used them to write the New Testament and to appoint elders and leaders in the church. So Paul said, man, I'm, I'm, I'm like a master builder. God's called me to work in the kingdom, a skill builder to lay the foundation. How important is the foundation of a structure? The most important, right? I mean, everything else in the building stands on the foundation. The foundation is the least seen thing in a building. The, the foundation is the least observable, probably the ugliest, the, the least, you know, nobody brags about their foundation in their house. Man, look at them shutters. Isn't that crown mold and wonderful? Look at them doors. Have you ever seen windows that pretty? No, you know what you ought to be saying? Man, this house has a rock-solid foundation. I mean, this, this thing will stand. Yeah, I, I get a kick out of them, the company, and if you work for them, I'm not picking on them. The company that will come around and jack up your house, you know, dig holes in the ground and put jacks under there. Say, if you got a crack in your sheetrock, your foundation's settled. Well, do tell. I mean, we're in Florida, and we build houses on top of sand. So what do you think is going to happen, okay? But the point is, your foundation is the most important. Paul, Paul said, I'm laying a foundation, and his name is Jesus. And I'm laying a foundation because it's important. 
that foundation is, is the most important thing. And he says here, he says, everyone should be careful how they build on that foundation. Be careful what you do as you build on it. Don't use lesser materials spiritually. Use the best materials spiritually. What did Paul say about Jesus as the foundation? I'll give you three things real quick. Number one, in a, in a pagan world, particularly among the Greeks, Paul said to them very clearly, here's the foundation you need to understand. There's forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ and in nobody else is it, is it possible. He said, laying the foundation, he said, there's forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ and it's not available anywhere else. Paul preached the unique, the uniqueness of Jesus and that he came as the savior of the world as the only way. And coupled to the fact that you can be saved by faith in Jesus Christ, that he forgives sin is a restored relationship to the true and living God. Paul went up on Mars Hill and saw all those, all those altars to the various pagan deities. You could take some evangelism lessons from Paul. We all could. He saw an altar to the unknown God. There's his cue. Hey, guys, I see you have an altar to the unknown God. Y'all are very religious. I happen to know who he is, and we can put his name on there because he's the real one. And he began to preach to them about Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the way to be saved. And I like the response of those guys because it's the same response we get today. Some of them looked at him and said, you're crazy and you're out of your mind, and we never heard such foolishness, and they all walked away. But some of them said, we would hear more about what you got to say. Is that not the response we get from the world today? You share the gospel, and some people go, I don't want to hear that. Matter of fact, I get angry. They get angry about it. And then other people go, tell me more. Tell me more about Jesus. So don't, be, don't get your feelings hurt when nobody wants to listen to you because Paul didn't win them all either. But Paul began in laying the foundation. He said, listen, Jesus is the only way to be saved. He's the one you're looking for. There, by the way, Paul said there's no other foundation you can lay. If there's a church today, a local church that bases its ministry on anything other than Jesus Christ and the Bible that teaches about Jesus, their foundation's flawed. There's no foundation. So Paul said it's all about Jesus. Secondly, Paul preached about Jesus and he said this, you can have, you can have peace and confidence in this life in Jesus Christ. What do people want out of religion anyway? All the false religions in the world, what are they looking for? Some kind of confidence about this life. Some kind of confidence about, about somebody who's going to take care of them and what's going to happen to them when they die. Paul said, listen, that the peace and the confidence you're looking for in life is only available in Jesus. He's the foundation. You know what Christianity tells us? Three things that nothing else in the world will answer. And you know this. It tells us where we came from. The world tried to tell you you came from a, an amoeba so long ago you can't count the numbers, okay? That's foolishness. That's a lie from Satan. The Bible says where we came from, God Almighty who created the universe made you. He made you, and he made you a living soul. Number two, the Bible, in connection to Jesus, tells us why you're here, your purpose in life, and it is to bring honor and glory to God, to have a relationship with him and honor him in the things we do. So you know where you came from. You know why you're here. What's the third thing we want to know? What happens after this? There's a bunch of lost people in the world who want to know that. And they'll tell you, man, I'm afraid. I don't know what happens when I die. 
And as a, a Bible-believing, educated Christian, you know what you say to them? I got good news for you. Because there's a God who made you and put you here, and he's already told you what's going to happen, and it's in Jesus. And so Paul said, listen, the foundation is Jesus. He saves, and he brings, he brings peace and confidence in this life. And then thirdly, connected to what we just said, he brings hope for the future. We, we don't believe in a hope so God. We believe in a God who's definitive. Let me tell you what, I'm just going to give you a short list of what God has promised us that just thrills my heart to think about. Listen to this. Number one, he has assured me that in Jesus Christ I have eternal life. Ponder that for a minute. I mean, we say it all the time because it's the Christian thing to say, oh man, I have eternal life. Have you ever thought about what that means? It means this body will die, but the real you, your soul, who you are, is eternal. And not only are you eternal, but you're going to live with God forever with no end. I'd say let's get started, right? I'd say, I'd say Jesus come back and rapture us and let's get going. That's a promise. That's a hope. How about this? The rapture of the church. I don't know if Jesus is going to come back in my lifetime. I don't know. I, kind of, I don't think he will. I mean, I'm not trying to predict. I'm just saying the world's got to get a lot worse. The Bible says it's going to get a lot worse. Maybe it'll get worse in a week. Maybe it'll get worse in a year. I don't know uh, the way things are going. Maybe it will, okay? I don't know. But the world's, I think before Jesus comes back, there's going to be very real persecution in this country against Christianity. I mean persecution like arrest you, lose your job, take your house, go to jail. That's what's going to happen in this country. And I think that that's going to happen before Jesus comes back. But I could be wrong. I'm not trying to predict. Jesus could come back today. But is that not a wonderful hope? To know that Jesus is going to come back and rapture his church one day? How about, how about the promise of a resurrection? Not really looking all forward to that thing of dying, but you know what? That popping up out of the grave in a new body is pretty cool. I mean, that, that, whole thing of, that whole thing of coming back in a new body, I, I, I could get with that. How about, how about the promise of a home in glory? Speaking of houses that are built well, that one's built well. You know how I know it's built well? Because I know who built it. His name's Jesus. And that thing, that, the foundation of that thing won't sag. I can tell you that. You know why? Because it'll be, it'll be in, the, in the heavens. It'll be on streets of gold in, in, a, in a city with walls. Man, it'll be a, a perfect house. How about this? We can see our loved ones again. Boy, isn't that a hope? Isn't that precious? Parents and grandparents and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters and brothers. Listen, you can see them again. If they're saved and you're saved, you're going to hang out in the New Jerusalem, going to hang out with Jesus. Maybe you can hang out with them together. Won't that be nice? How about this? Part of the Lord's kingdom. The Bible says that as a child of God, you get to rule with him. Have no idea what all that's going to mean. I just know that whatever he does as God, we get to be part of it. He's going to give us jobs to do, give us assignments to do. And here's probably one of the best ones. And again, this is a limited list. It isn't, it isn't all-encompassing. Uh, I just do this to kind of whet your appetite. The Bible says that forever we get to worship around the throne of God. 
Now, music here is wonderful. Music is a gift from God. And there's good music here. Man, I've heard good singers, good bands, good musicians, good groups, good choirs, and I, and I like to listen to them. Sometimes I'll go on YouTube and, and get, get choirs that are singing and orchestras that are singing and listen to them, put my headphones on and, and just enjoy the music, and it's worship. Oh, but I got news for you. You ain't heard music till you heard it in heaven. I'm just saying. And you know what the Bible says? The angels can sing. I think we're going to have a sing-off with the angels when we get there. They're going to sing, and we're going to sing. And we're going to worship, and they're going to worship. And then whenever we figure out we can't sing better than one another, we'll just all sing together. How about that? But there's going to be worship in heaven. Now, here's what I'm saying. When Paul preached Jesus and laid the foundation, he said, salvation is by Jesus and no other way. He said, and if you'll trust him, man, he'll give you peace and confidence in this life. He'll answer all the questions of your heart. God, God will, will fill you in a way you can't, you can't even comprehend, and life will be different. Might not be easier, won't be devoid of difficulty, won't, doesn't mean it won't be challenging, but it'll be different than living life without Jesus here. And then finally, he said, there are promises that you can't even begin to comprehend that are a precious hope to us for eternity to come. Paul said, that's the foundation I'm laying. That's the foundation of the church, and it's the same one we build on today in the church age. I was thinking of other apostles, and Peter came to my mind. One of the favorite, I like Peter. Of, of all the guys, the apostles in the Bible, I like Peter because I see myself in him. Peter was always talking when he shouldn't be talking, always saying something he shouldn't be saying, slow on the uptake, you know, the whole deal, forsook Jesus, you know, wept, was sorry, and Jesus sat down with him by the, by the, by the lake in a fire and restored him and said, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Peter was down on himself, and Jesus said, then just feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. God used him anyway. And you see that, uh, you remember uh, uh, Peter and John there uh, in Acts 4, in Acts 3, they're going into the into the temple to worship, to pray, and there's a lame man there, and the whole thing, you know, such as I give you, I give you the name of Jesus, get up and walk, and the guy was healed. He's running around, they're all worshiping God. Well, Peter and John got hauled in before Sanhedrin for that. You know, hey, you guys stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Yeah, well, listen to what Peter said in Acts 4.10. Let it be known to you all, listen to this, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. Man, that says, that's, that's a dart to all those Sanhedrin. He said, let me tell you, you know this, and everybody standing around here know this, that the one you crucified, God raised him up, and it's by his name this guy standing here walking around. Oh, he wasn't done. Listen to this. This one... This Jesus is a stone which was rejected by you, by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Now listen to this. Listen, this is the this is same thing Paul said. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Paul laid the foundation. Sound to me like Peter was laying the same, same foundation. What do you think? 
They're all preaching the same thing. Paul says a master builder. Now, here's the part that applies to you and me. Paul said, take heed to how you build on that foundation. Okay? What does that mean? It means pay attention. Pay attention. Don't, don't, don't build spiritually in the body of Christ and in our personal Christian life with lesser materials. Now, I believe, and, there, and this could be an arguable point. This Sunday night, so let's deal with it for a minute. Was Paul saying that there are, there are materials we could build into Christian life with that are flat out wrong? Probably so. But I think it's more likely he was saying, look, in the Christian life, you have a choice. You're saved, you're saved, and you're saved. No, you're not going to be unsaved. So as a Christian, as a child of God, you can build with lesser materials and not be as effective. Things, things that won't stand the test of time. Things that won't endure. Or you can focus on the best, on spiritual things that build up and edify and are solid and will stand the test of time. And I think that's true for all of us. As Christians, we can be, we can be involved in things that really have very little value, eternally. They're just things. They're just stuff. And they're just of here. Or we can be involved in eternal things, lay up treasures in heaven, invest in people's lives, share the gospel. We can build things that we'll see in heaven. Those have value. And I think that's what Paul's saying. Look at what he says beginning in verse, in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 3. He says, now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. Now just stop on verse 12. There's your two building materials. Okay? He lists the best first, gold, silver, precious stones. And then he said, or you can build on, on wood, hay, and straw, or stubble in the King James. Listen to what he says in verse 13. Here's where it's personal. Each one's work, we're talking about each one of us, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. Now watch this. But he himself will be saved, yet not as though through fire. Boy, you get what Paul's saying there. He's saying... It's imperative that we pay attention to what we build with because there's going to be a test. You ever have a test in school and you know it's coming? You're supposed to prepare, but you don't. You dread the test day, don't you? You dread it because you go, I'm not ready. You, knew, you know how I knew I was ready for a test? If I could sit without a book or anything and recite to myself all the answers to the stuff we were supposed to study, and I had the material in my head, I knew I was ready for the test. That didn't happen all the time. Okay, So you would dread the test. Paul's saying right here, be very careful how you build. Now let's talk about the materials, and let's do it in the order Paul gives it in verses 12 to 15. First, let's talk about gold, silver, and precious stones. That's the best material. That represents the best. And it, and, it, and it corresponds to the quality of the foundation, doesn't it? Because the foundation is Jesus. So you're going to build with precious things, things that endure forever, gold, silver, and precious stones. Let me equate that to what I believe it means in our lives. And I'm going to do it with three things, and then we'll do it with the lesser. 
I think if you're going to build, and we're going to build individually or collectively as a church on the foundation of Jesus Christ, we have to begin with the purity of the gospel. Purity of the gospel. That's gold, isn't it? There is pressure in our society today, and it's been in every generation. It isn't just us. The gospel is inherently confrontational. Not because we mean to be, because we intend to be mean or unkind, but in your life when you got saved, and in my life when I got saved, God confronted me. There was nothing gentle about it. Now, God's love is gentle, and, and, and don't misunderstand me. But when I was confronted with my sin, even as a kid, it was, it was somewhat startling. It was, it was a little bit, it, was, it, it confronted me. And today, when we share the gospel, to do it biblically, there comes a point in the conversation where you know what we have to say to the person? You're a sinner. There's no, there's no other way around that, right? I mean, if, if, if a person's going to get saved, what do they have to understand? Their need to get saved, that, they, that they're lost, that they need to be found. A preacher one time said to me, said to us, I was listening to him preach, and he said, he said, a person could go walking in the woods on a hike and get lost the first hour they're out there and not know it until they get ready to come home. In other words, they've been lost all day and they don't realize it until now it's time to go home. He said lost people are like that. They're walking around in life and they don't even, they don't even know. They're happy-go-lucky, man. They got their job, their home, the, you know, the cats, the two-and-a-half kids, and the, and the retirement, and the 401k. They don't know they're lost. Life's good, especially if you live in this country. Well, it was really good, and now not so good, but, but you understand what I'm saying. 401k, you got everything on. And then we show up with the gospel, and what do we do? Oh, hey, that, that really good life you're living? Yeah, well, let me tell you where we really are. You're lost, and God's angry with you about your sin, and you need to get saved. How does, how does that get received? Not real well most of the time, right? Not, not real well. And so where we have to start with building on the foundations, we have to start with the purity of the gospel, and we have to not water it down. And we have to not be tempted to back up and try to make it smooth and try to smooth it over so people aren't offended. The best thing that can happen to a lost person is to get offended by the fact that they're lost. Because then that motivates them to do something about it. Or the Holy Spirit then motivates them to do something. I believe, this is my conviction, you have your own, that we've made a terrible mistake in a lot of churches in this country today. For the sake of building large crowds and getting people to come in and give a lot of money, we don't say anything that hurts their feelings particularly with the gospel. Because if we tell them, you're all lost and you need to get saved, half of them won't come back. And when they leave, they take their checkbook with them. So if we're going to build on the foundation like we should build on the foundation, what do we have to do? We have to maintain the purity of the gospel. Number two, gold, silver, precious stones. Not only do we have to maintain the purity of the gospel, we have to maintain the purity of doctrine. The Bible, teaching it, the purity of doctrine. Just as we are tempted in the world today to water down the gospel so that we're not as offensive or less confrontational, likewise there are challenging doctrines in the Bible, are there not? Challenging truths 
that call us out about sin and life and God. And so it's real easy to come in here as a preacher or in, or in any congregation and just tell you how great you are. Man, you're so wonderful and God's all for you. Whatever you're doing, God's for you. Well, He is for you, but there's more to the story, okay? There's, there's more in there. And if we're going to faithfully build spiritually on the house of God, we have to tell the whole story, don't we? Listen to me very carefully. Do you know what good doctrine will do for our Christian lives? It'll give us a spiritual backbone. In other words, the more you know about God's Word, the more prepared you are for the Holy Spirit to make you stand strong when it's time to stand strong. Because you can say, no, I happen to know what God said about that. And what you're saying is not what God said, and I'm with God. So you and I are going to be in disagreement. I went to a church's website one time. I've told this story a bunch of times. I'll tell it real quick so we don't run out of time. And I was, I was trying to steal ideas from their website, you know, for our website. That's not really stealing, is it? It's like not reinventing the wheel. So I was looking at what they did and how theirs was laid out, and we were talking about it. And it said doctrine, so I clicked on it. You know what it said? We don't have a doctrinal statement because it's too controversial. I didn't make that up. That's what it said. You know what? You can build with lesser material if you want to. Paul recommended you not do that, okay? Real doctrine makes you stand up. And I'm going to tell you something. I know I, young people, you know when you're getting old, you go into a place, they call you sir, and they give you the senior discount, and they don't ask you. <laughs> I get my receipt, and it's 10% off, and it says senior, comma, old. I don't know. <laughs> it just seems senior discount, okay? I get the senior discount sometimes now, and I don't ask for it. I'm going to color my hair. I'm going to get, no, I'm not going to do it. I don't even know why I started saying it. The point is, pure doctrine is just as important as the pure gospel. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is in Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those boys had pure doctrine. You know why? Because when, when Nebuchadnezzar said, you've got to fall down and worship that image, they said, mm, nah, we appreciate the offer, and yeah, I know the whole burning fire furnace thing's bad, but God said, don't worship anything or anybody but him. And we're pretty much going to do that. Nebuchadnezzar throwed them in the fire, and you know what happened, right? Jesus showed up, walked around with them, and nothing happened, and they came out. The point is, if we're going to build spiritually a house of God on the foundation of Jesus Christ, it takes pure gospel, and it takes pure doctrine. Number three, number three, real quick, it takes purity of service. And here's what I mean by that. There are a lot of people in the church who operate in the church, who serve in the church, who do things in the church, and they do it all for the wrong reasons. They do it for self-glorification, I, and I don't say, I say this, I say this soberly, it's just my conviction, so I'm just going to tell you. As a Christian who reads the Bible, I have as much right to have an opinion about it as you do. If you don't agree, that's okay, you can be wrong. But here it is, okay? When I see these hotshot preachers walk around with an entourage, people answering the phone for them and pulling the car up and giving them stuff, that bothers me. I'm going to tell you, it bothers me. You won't ever find in this church a reserved parking spot for the pastor. 
No, it's never going to happen. How about put reserved parking spot for anybody who wants to park there? How about that? If you want to come here and worship, park in the parking spot. I'll park on the grass. When it's Easter and we run out of parking spots, I park across the street and walk over here. People serve in the church for the wrong reasons. They serve to get money. I was reading a thing this week. I probably shouldn't do this. But I, I was reading a thing about a preacher this week. And this hurts my heart. The guy's got shady business stuff going on on the side, incorporated in the church's name. And, and it's a bad testimony. Because now the authorities are in it saying, are you really a, a tax-free uh, entity or are you not a tax-free entity? And listen, pastors get a housing allowance where the, based on a formula on how much your house costs and your house payment and, and utilities, the church can legally take part of your salary package and make a housing allowance and the other part salary. And now there's a tax benefit to that. The housing allowance part doesn't get, doesn't get federal tax, but you have to pay Social Security on the whole package. This guy's got near a $100,000 house allowance a year for a house. Now, all I'm going to say, if you're going to build spiritually, your motives got to be right. It's got to be pure. Why your servants got to be right? What, what your heart is has to be right. Now, real quick, let's talk about lesser materials. Now, I'm going to tell you, if those things are right, if, if, if we're dealing with the purity of the gospel, the purity of doctrine, and the motive to serve is right, the Holy Spirit's leading a person's life, I mean, you can build like crazy spiritually. You can lead people to Jesus. You can edify people. You can do all, God will usually do all kinds of stuff. What about the lesser materials? If we deal in watered-down gospel, you can forget it because it'll lead people astray. They'll come into the church and feel good and think they're saved and bust hell wide open because they think they're okay. They come in, we make them feel good. Man, God loves you. Everything's okay. Yeah, God, God, I know, you, I know you're living in sin, but God loves you so much it's okay. Well, it's not okay. And sin is sin, and it offends God. So if we water down the gospel, we build with, with less, less effective materials. If we forsake doctrine, as in it's too, it's too controversial, we're not going to have any. Nobody in the church is going to grow spiritually. I guarantee you that. I guarantee you. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine. Right? For reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God or the woman of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for good works. Not going to be equipped for any good works without the Word of God. So if we water it down, we're building with lesser materials, aren't we? And if we operate out of the flesh in, 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 the, in the ministry of the gospel, it's lesser materials. And it's going to be ineffective. And here's the last part in six minutes or less. How about that? Test day. Paul said in verse 13, each one's works will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's works of what sort it is. Here's what's going to happen. We all have to stand in front of Jesus one day. Has nothing to do with being saved. Has nothing to do with getting in heaven. That was settled long ago when you trusted him as your savior. But we have to stand in front of Jesus as our Lord, who's our master, who gave us marching orders while we live here. And we have to give an account to him as the stewards in the parable for the talents we were given. 
What do we do with them? And what do we build with? Our works in this life, our spiritual works, our works in this life are going to be tested with fire. And I don't know how all that's going to work. But fire is what? It's a test of purity. In wood, hay, and straw, what happens to it in fire? It goes away. It burns up. But gold and silver and precious stones, they endure. So when we stand in front of Jesus, he's going to measure our work, our spiritual work, our spiritual life. And all the things that we invested in with good material is going to endure the test. The fire is going to come, test it, and it's going to still be there. And the Bible says Jesus is going to give us rewards. Now, we don't serve Jesus to get rewards. But if we serve Jesus with things that endure, you get rewards. Those who live their Christian life and built with lesser material that didn't lay up anything in heaven, all of their work's going to burn up, and they're going to get no reward. Paul said very clearly, though they're going to be saved, they're going to get into heaven, they're going to have no rewards. You say, well, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? I don't have time, but what does the Bible say we're going to do with them rewards after we get them? We're going to worship Jesus and lay them back at his feet. I don't know about you, but I want a bunch of stuff to throw back at his feet. How sad would it be to get into heaven and be worshiping Jesus and have nothing to offer him, nothing to lay at his feet, nothing to lay there. No work in your entire life resulted in a reward that you could lay at the feet of Jesus. Still going to get in heaven. Still going to be good. Heaven's good. But how sad for that to happen. So what's the lesson tonight? You can't get out of it. If you're saved, you're supposed to be building. Can't say to Jesus, well, Lord, I'm not a, I'm not a carpenter and I don't build well, so I couldn't build anything. Jesus is not going to buy that. That's kind of like the guy with one talent who said, I buried it and here it is. Don't be that guy, okay? Don't be that woman. Don't show up to Jesus one day and go, thank you for all the spiritual gifts, Lord. It was wonderful. I just didn't do anything with them. No, don't do that, okay? Do whatever it is you can do, build. And build with good stuff. How about that? If you're here tonight or you're watching this online and you've never been saved, it all starts with the foundation with Jesus. Would you trust him as your Lord and Savior? Would you ask him to save you tonight? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this passage and how it encourages us, Lord, and how it challenges us to be builders. Paul was a master builder. You called him to be that way, to lay the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to build on that foundation wisely and faithfully using the best of materials spiritually, the pure gospel, pure doctrine, and a motive to serve you because we love you. God, bless us tonight. If there's any area of our life where we need to improve, God, convict us about it, each one of us, and help us to be found faithful. Lord, if there's one here tonight under the hearing of your word, and they need to be saved. God, I ask you to save them right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as Sherry plays. If I can pray with you, you come on the first verse.
Thank you for coming back tonight and uh, barring another hurricane, we plan to have Bible study on Wednesday night, have our classes, so plan to be here for that and invite somebody to come next Sunday. Uh, be here maybe.